Good morning, Church of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I didn't hear you. What? Right before I walked up here, Quig said, hey, Massey, go have fun. I think often we come into church and we stop having fun. We sit on our hands, we get somber. We worship like this. Oh, Lord Jesus, God, you're so good. God, you're good, right? We talk about the goodness of God and we go, yeah, it's good. Today, let's have some fun. Let's invite the Lord to come laugh with us, speak to us, join us, lead us. Can, can we do that together? If you want to shout out to me, shout out to me, right? Let's, let's just hear from God and laugh together. Let's not be somber about God's word. Let's, so just join me in praying and let's just ask God to do what he wants to do. Father, we lift our hands to you if we want to. We just, we just kneel, stand, sit before you. We invite your presence. We invite your power. We invite your anointing. We want to hear from heaven. We don't want to hear from Mike. We want to hear from you. And we want you to speak to us this, this morning about this topic of correction and let us hear it from your heart and your perspective. And let us just receive it, hear it, and move in a new direction because of it. Give us new vision. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Proverbs 1.23 says, if you turn at my reproof, and whenever you hear the word reproof, it was written there, translated literally as kind correction. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Proverbs 3.11 through 12 says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Same word, for the Lord reproves, kind correction, him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We are in a series called Proverbs, Living Wisely in God's World. And Proverbs talks a lot about the wisdom of listening to God's correction. Godly correction. So let me begin by saying, I stand before you today and I am not an expert on correction. Unless I'm an expert because I've been corrected so much in my life. Like even driving over this morning, God was correcting me. And I wanna be clear as we walk through this, that correction that I'm talking about is not just about fixing a behavior or dealing with some kind of hidden sin in our lives. That's a symptom of good correction, a product of, a result of, but correction is not just about fixing a behavior, right? You see, I confess that I don't always see correction as something that is good or something that I want or that I need. I'm an eight on the Enneagram scale. I'm a challenger. Eight equals jerk, right? Like I'm an eight, right? I, I, so, so I often fight correction with every fiber of my being. I, I'm stubborn, I'm headstrong. If my wife steps into to godly correct or lovingly correct, I can use accusation as a reason to not listen to which, oh, you're accusing me, right? We don't like correction. But in my 54 years, I have been so loved by God and I have fallen in love with Jesus. And as I fall more and more deeply in love with Jesus, I have discovered that I am desperate for and want now his correction in my life. 
See, as a result of godly correction, as I said, is to change behavior and, and fix sin. But the real goal of correction, the real goal of correction is about correcting our vision. The real goal of correction is correcting our vision. See, the goal of our lives is not to arrive at death safely. The goal of our lives in Jesus is your and my freedom. And to that end, God's correction in our lives is to correct our vision, that we will realign with him, that we're going one direction, thinking we're even doing good things. And God says, listen, listen, correct your vision, move and realign because your life is mine, your things are mine, all your stuff is mine, your time is mine. Everything you have is from me, through me, back to me, and it's all mine for your good and my glory, amen? That's our calling because he wants us to be the powerful, beautiful ecclesia in this world. So with all that in mind, let's look at Proverbs one twenty three, the primary verse today. The context of 123 is that there is this woman called wisdom and she's crying out in the streets to get people to heed her voice. What was she crying out? Wisdom was walking in the streets. She was crying out and wisdom still cries out today for the people to listen and turn, but listen and turn for what? What was wisdom? She was wanting them and us to turn at correction and live in the right direction with a correct vision. That's what wisdom was crying out. Listen, turn, change direction. Even if you think you're going and doing the things that you previously were called by me to do, I'm telling you, change direction. We've got a new course, change your vision. See, there are three things I want us to think about about correction a willingness to listen and turn is the essence of correction. To continue in the right direction, we must be constantly open to God's correction. And your direction is always tied to godly correction. I'm gonna say it again. A willingness to listen and turn is the essence of correction. To continue in the right direction, we must constantly be open to his correction. And your direction is always tied to godly. Your direction is always tied to godly correction. So in Proverbs 123, wisdom gently says, listen, turn at my kind correction, that word reproof. Listen, turn, but let's face it. How many of us want to listen to correction? Do you? Someone raise your hand if you like correction, right? Nobody likes, we, why is it culturally and especially in the church, why do we despise correction so much? It makes us so mad. We get so triggered. See, I believe our view of correction all depends on how we view the heart of God. I'm gonna give you two if-then statements. The first one, if we have a proper view of who God is, who we are as a result, that we're not our own and our lives are not our own because of him and we've been set free, then we will be actively listening for his call to turn and we will have a, a willingness to receive his good correction. But if we do not understand the truth 
about the goodness of God, who he is, his good heart towards us, then we will live in fear and control. And when we hear his call to correction, we will see it as punishment or judgment. Let me show you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? You lose everything, and everything falls apart, and eventually you die, and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No, up there. it said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's look, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's Stop not yelling. yelling. There's no lake here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. OK. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for a Michael! Are you okay? <laughs> See, we watch that and we think, Michael Scott, you are such an idiot. But are we really so different? I mean, really, are we really so different? Like, like Michael Scott, I often miss the call to turn because I'm not willing to be corrected. And then, just like Michael, I will often blame the GPS voice for leading me astray or as the cause of the consequence of going in the lake. It's the voice's fault. And it's all because I'm not willing to humble myself. And that unwillingness leads to consequences that are not punished from God. Hear that. Those consequences are not punishment from God, but are a direct result of my unwillingness to turn and listen to good, godly correction. And like Michael Scott, I will always miss the turn if or when I'm unwilling to be told how to drive. Guys, we gotta be honest with ourselves. We love being in our driver's seat. And we do not like to be told where to drive. See, why was Michael and why am I sometimes so unwilling to trust the voice of the GPS and turn at its good, good correction? I've said it before, I'll say it again. I believe it's because it's when I stop trusting that God's heart is good towards me and that he is good for me and that he is with me, it's when I stop trusting his good, good heart and nature. See, if I do not trust that God's heart is good, not just good, but also good toward me, then I will always see correction as an obstruction to where I think I wanna go and or what I think is best for me. See, that false belief, gosh, it leads to some really dark, wrong thinking of control, selfishness, self-centeredness. Think about how we often think if we're not trusting God's heart towards us. A new thing comes along. God says, step in this direction. God says, I need you to change that behavior. God says, I wanna bring that behavior out in the light, whatever it might be, 
maybe sin, maybe not clear sin. And God says, it's time to change direction. And I think to myself, hmm, this is risky. We've been doing this for a long time like this. We've had worship this way with this structure for a long time. It's gonna frustrate them. Like, like this is risky. I, I have a lot to lose here. This doesn't feel safe. And we use that word safe as an excuse to do what we want and not listen to God's voice. This doesn't feel safe. I'd better take control here. God's gonna lead me someplace that doesn't feel safe. It'll be out of my comfort zone. He'll make me give up all the trappings that I believe I need to have to be happy. So I'll be a Christian. I'll attend church. I'll listen to worship music. I'll have my quiet times. But I'm not moving to India, Lord. Lord, I'm not gonna change my ministry and, and do something risky. Lord, I'm not changing direction with this sin that I have hidden in the darkness because it's become a part of me. And then we wonder, we wonder where the power of God is. We wonder, we gather together and worship times and we cry out, God, heal my friend, change this thing, bring salvation, right? We're crying out to God's power and he's saying, this way, look at me, change your direction. Listen and turn at my correction. See, we gotta get honest with ourselves, church. We say that we want all of God and we'll go whatever, we'll do whatever, you know, but do we really? Will we really go wherever he says go? Will we ever, will we really do whatever he says do? See, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not talking about just sinful behavior in the dark. I'm talking about things like control and fear. See, there is a godly fear. There's a fear that's awe and reverence and wonder that God sits on the throne, that he could crush us, but he calls us sons or daughters. There's that kind of awe fear. I'm talking about the afraid fear. I'm talking about the type of fear that just grips us and cripples us that is not godly. We keep giving it room to breathe and it's like a cancer. And then we go around telling each other and affirming each other's fears we sit together and start talking about our fears. And instead of saying, hey, I hear your fear, we gotta get rid of it. We give it room to breathe. We keep telling each other our fears are okay. And this fear and control is crippling the bride from being powerful and effective in a world that needs to hear from us and see us being fearless. See, just the other day, like this is true in my life too. I've been walking with Jesus a long time. People tell me I'm risky and I'm like, Lord, I'm not. Like just the other day I was in the gym. I look over and there's a young woman. She probably was, I mean, I guess everyone's getting young to me now, right? Young woman, I look over and she maybe was mid twenties, African-American woman. She's working out beside me and I kind of look at the screen of her phone and I see what I think is maybe a Christian speaker on the, but I couldn't exactly see because you know my eyesight is, right? And immediately I felt like the Lord said, step over and give her a word. And I didn't have a word. I didn't know what I was gonna say. And immediately the whispers started coming. No, ignore it. You're a 54 year old white man. We're in a culture of BLM. She's gonna think you're creepy. She's gonna reject you. She's gonna run like the hills from you. 
But the Lord said, do you, do you want to trust me? Do you want to change direction? <sighs> okay, Lord. Stepped over. You know, she's got her AirPods in. She, I tapped on her shoulder. Hey, what's your name? She told me her name. I said, what are you listening to? She told me, and I was like, ah, I thought so. I thought I recognized his face. Hey, I feel like the Lord has a word for you. She was like, mm. <laughs> a word, what's a word? And I said, I don't know exactly what it is. I just felt like the Lord said, go, go stand by you and give you a word. I began to speak. Pretty soon I am invading her space by touching her shoulder. Oh my gosh, I'm a creepy old man. And then I'm like, can I pray for you? She's then crying. People are looking at us in the gym like, who is that nutbag bothering that woman? <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever see her again. I don't know what God did with that in that, but are we willing to risk stepping out and being seen and changing direction at God's correction? Or are we gonna live safe and afraid? You see, so many believers live terrified and afraid of good correction because they think that God is only out to expose their hidden shame or sinful behaviors or that we're gonna look foolish and get rejected. See, I'm here to tell you today that perspective is just flat wrong and we've got to change our vision. But I wanna make it clear what our perspective is wrong about. Our perspective about correction is only off to the degree that we have a wrong perspective about God's heart towards us. And here's the thing, Satan has been whispering lies about God's heart and his nature towards us since the very beginning. Think about what was going on in the garden. The serpent says to Eve in essence, God isn't for you. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to be like him. He's hiding his very best from you. Don't trust him. When what was the truth? The truth was God had made them and us in his very own image. And he took it further. He said, I'm not just making in my own image. I'm putting you in this beautiful garden and you have access to everything. You've got the run of the whole place. And he then walked with them in the garden where he set them free to be like little kids, totally naked, free, unafraid and with zero shame. Oh my gosh, why did they trust the lie? But you know the story. In spite of that, they chose the lie instead of believing the truth. And then that lie gets perpetrated further to us throughout generations because we're to told to believe that in God's wrath and in his punishment and based on his curse he cursed man and woman by kicking them out of the garden on their faces because of their sin as my old Baptist preacher the sin go read the story again the word curse is only used as it relates to the serpent the word curse was not used as it related to man and woman there were natural consequences to their sin. There were natural consequences for man and woman because of what they did by not listening to God. But God never cursed them. He loved them. His correction was love. God made them leave the garden because of his love, not a curse. Think about it. The big three huddle up after it all went down. 
God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're like, okay, there's a problem. Man and woman now might eat of the tree of life that was right next to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They might eat of that. And then if they do that, they're gonna live forever. They will remain in these beautiful, never aging bodies and they will become like cold, beautiful, bloodthirsty vampires getting worse and worse. I promise that part's in the Bible. Getting worse and worse and it will be horrible for them. No bueno. Therefore, he says, in my love for them, in my grace and mercy for them, I cannot for their sakes let them stay in the garden. I love them too much. Therefore, my correction in their lives is that they gotta leave paradise and face the consequence of physical death and aging bodies in order to once again truly live. And I've already planned the response. It's Jesus. Gosh, isn't God good? Oh yes, Mikey, so good. Isn't God good? I grew up in a church where the, where the pastor would say, God is good. And all the time. Like, like, I know that's cheesy and corny, but God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. If we got nothing to stand and shout about on a given day, it's that God is good. Wow. And Satan doesn't want us to believe that. He doesn't want us to believe that God's correction is good, that his heart is good. Because if we believe that, then we'll shake off fear and control. We will run and surrender. We will change direction and we'll throw off everything that hinders and any weight that causes us to slow down. Here are some always truths about correction from God. His correction is always for us, not done to us. His correction for us is always invitational to a better way. His correction for us is always a result of his grace. His correction for us is always his unfathomable love for us. His correction for us is always an expression of his kindness, not punishment. His correction for us is always necessary for our freedom. And his correction for us is always because we're his legitimate kids. He only corrects his kids that he loves Quig said in the last service afterward, Andy Stanley says, I don't correct my neighbor's dog. I only correct my own dog. He, lo- he corrects us because he loves us and we're his kids. Romans 2, 4 says, do you not know that it is God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance? Not penance, but repentance, which is running toward God. Message version says, in kindness, God takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. First John 4, 16 through 19 says, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. Think about that promise. There is no fear in love. We're not talking about the awe wonder fear, the afraid fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, God corrects you and I because he loves us and because we are his kids. 
correction is good. And you know what beautiful correction does when we turn toward it? Look at what Proverbs 123 says happens when we willingly turn at God's correction. It says, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Think about the radical promise that God says, when you turn at my correction, I'm gonna do something big. Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, make my words known to you. The word behold there means stop, pay attention, look, listen. The Hebrew writers would use that word specifically to get the reader to stop, breathe, stop everything else and look at what was being said next and pay attention. And he's saying, when we willingly turn to his correction, we have a promise from heaven itself that we will receive his spirit and hear his voice. Wow. See, he promises just like in the garden, that he will be with us, that he will lead us, he will take us where he's asked us to go, even in the midst of and through our correction that sometimes is very, very hard. Wow, what a promise. See, that should evoke in us a desire to hear his correction and then act upon it. But here's the truth. Often, just like in the gym, we will hear a prompt, we will hear a correction, but then we... I'm gonna ignore it. I'm not gonna respond. See, we can be willing to receive correction, but unwilling to activate it in our lives. There's a two-part process here. See, for correction to be effective, we must actively turn and change direction. When correction comes, we must change our direction. And just like in Alcoholics Anonymous or Celebrate Recovery, a change of direction starts with a confession. I admit that I am. I admit that I am doing. I admit that I'm living, right? It starts with a confession or an admission, right? Stepping out in the light with honest confession is the first most powerful step to a change of direction. And it's often the most vulnerable and scary. See, confession is not wallowing. Confession is not groveling. Confession is not necessarily telling everyone we know. Confession is not saying it aloud just to your pillow or just saying it aloud at the altar by yourself, right? Confession is not for God. He does not need it. Can you let that sink in your heads? God does not need our confession. Why is it that he tells us to confess? It's because we need it. You know why? What does James 5, 16 say? It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you'll be forgiven? Nope, doesn't say that. So you'll get redeemed? Nope. So you can minister to others? Nope. So you can be seen or heard? No, Why? so that you will be healed. The literal word there is whole, made whole again, restored, made whole and healed. Confession causes wholeness and healing. First John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin." See, what that's saying there is when we step out risky in the light, when we step out in confession with another person, we're walking out in the light. 
It's not just confession with God, it's confession with one. We step out in the light and then suddenly we have this koinonia, which is this word fellowship, this deep intimacy that starts to happen. Intimacy here, intimacy there. We step out in the light where we are seen and we see, where we are known and we know. And suddenly there's this beautiful intimacy that happens and God's blood of Jesus cleanses us and we're made whole. See, risking exposure to others is really hard. But when we stop letting fear keep our true selves and hiding from others in God, like he's asking us to risk exposure in the light and he promises when we do that, there'll be healing, there'll be release of intimacy with him and others and we're gonna be cleansed by Jesus. See, here's the thing. This is the lens change that I hope you have today, that I hope that I have with greater measure in my life today. What about what real correction is? It's this. Our willing correction provokes honest confession, which releases connection. Our willing correction provokes honest connection, confession, which releases beautiful connection. I had a clip I was gonna show, but our time is talking too long. Had it timed perfectly too. I had a clip that I was gonna show from The Chosen the woman at the well. And it was a scene where Jesus goes to the well and he, he basically goes there making an appointment to meet with this woman. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's so beautiful. I dare you not to cry. But in this moment, this woman comes to the well and she's the worst of the worst. She's the rejected by all. She's not just a woman, so low in society at that point in time, but she's a woman who's had five husbands. And Jesus says, you not just had five, you got a six. Like, And in that moment, there's a moment where God steps in with the least of the least, the most rejected. And he says, I see you, I choose you. I'm bringing correction, godly kindness into your life. And there's a moment where she's gotta say, I will turn, I'll change direction. Which then opens her up to confession, which then leads to this beautiful connection with her and the whole town changes. It's beautiful. See, here's a risk even now as I stand here. I believe God wants us to step into a new level of correction, confession, and connection. I think so many times we come to church and we live in our hiding places. We put up our shells of what we want people to see. We create a a mask. We walk in like Fantasy Island De plane, de plane, all is good. Anyone under 40 doesn't know what that show is. We're so living in hiding and we're so afraid to be really seen and really known because what if they reject it? And God wants to invite us into a new place of correction which begins by our confession and not groveling, not wallowing, not saying we, I'm sorry, which really means I stink. I mean the kind of confession that says, God, I see who you've called me to be. I know who you've invited me to walk into. I wanna be it. Like what if we just take a moment? I don't wanna miss the opportunity to get on your knees, to stand, to come to the altar. No hiding, 
dropping your fear, dropping our control, and just coming before the Lord laid bare. Or, or, or grabbing someone sitting beside you, walking to the altar, sitting in your chair where you are, and just saying, I want to be seen. And you know what? We risk when we do that, turning to our husband or our wife or turning to a friend, we risk them saying, that's too much. I'm not going to handle that. We risk, if, if, if we have a, a fear, we risk our spouse being accused by it. If we have a, a sin and it's in the dark, we risk, there's risk. But when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship and Jesus' blood cleanses us. The goal of his correction is our freedom and our vision. So just, I just, I'm going to take a minute. I'm, I, I don't want to be manipulative, but I just want us to, God, we come before you, Father. No more hiding. No more running, Lord. Lord, there is risk for us coming to an altar, either literal. There is risk when we grab someone else's hands and we say, come join me and hear from me and hear, I wanna walk in the light. There is risk, Lord, when we tell someone else what you're prompting us to do or go be about or the change of direction. There's risk that suddenly someone knows and is gonna hold us accountable. There is risk, Lord, that when we expose a sin that's in the dark, we don't know who we are anymore without it. There's a risk that if we do that, God, that people are gonna reject us and leave us. Father, we, no groveling, no condemnation. But Lord, there's a risk if I give up control and fear, what will my life look like? There's a risk, Lord, that if I stop listening to the narratives in my head, the false narratives about who you say I am and who you say you are, Father, there's a risk that I'm gonna start to live out of control and go places that scare me. But Lord, the greater risk is if we don't. The greater risk, Father, is if we don't surrender to your call and listen and change our direction. The greater risk is that we run to our grave holding onto our stuff and our wealth and our money. And those things aren't evil, Father. It's the grip that we let them have on our lives. Today, Lord, we drive a stake in the ground. We wanna hear your voice. That we will respond and turn at your correction. Jesus. Mm. Father, when we miss the turn and we drive in the lake, please don't stop calling us. Please don't stop inviting us to turn. I thank you that you never, ever leave us or forsake us. I thank you that you're good. Oh God, you're good. That your heart towards us is good. That you see us. 
that you don't just see us, you know us and you've made us with our unique DNA and you don't want it to be in hiding anymore. That we would be a people that are resolved not to hide anymore. Just give yourself some space right now as Eric plays and as, as we just sit here, just no, no words, no, just give your space to just hear his voice. And whatever he whispers, don't challenge it, don't think it's bad pizza, just listen. Hear his loving voice. Hear his call. Silence the whispers of the enemy and hear his voice.